have been challenging to uh, navigate, right? Like one of them you've probably noticed is the big room construction, right? So like for an entire school year, we as a youth ministry had to become nomadic, right? Like we were on the move for youth ministry. We moved spaces, which meant that we changed the way that we did things. And for Gather and another middle school program we have called Huddle, the room that we went to was too small, right? And for midweek, our middle schoolers, they were in a room in the worship center, which was way too big for them, right? We had to change the types of games we played. The youth band became acoustic, right? Uh, The whole feel of the night became different. And frankly, it wasn't as good, right? Like, I think you guys can sympathize with that, right? Another change that we went through recently was searching for a high school director, right? We've been looking for almost a year now, right? Like, whether you recognize that or not, whether you knew it or not, we had been searching for almost a year to find a high school director. And Isaac, who was our previous resident, right? Like, he's been gone for almost uh, six months, eight months, something like that. He left in April, right? He finished his residency. And Alex, who is in the midst of a job transition here at Redemption, he been kind of in this limbo state where he's started his new job, but also in his old job and stuck in this weird transition period. And us as a youth ministry, we're trying to grow and develop and find routine and rhythm. And it's challenging to do so when we're in this weird transition period, right? And there's been other changes going on here at Redemption. But, uh, you know, fortunately, some of these things are finally starting to settle in, right? Like, We are back in the big room, clearly, right? And it's awesome. We love being back in here. It's been great since we've started back in here this school year. And we've finally hired a high school director who's going to be starting next month, right? And so these these challenges are starting to come to a close. But as these challenges have uh, happened and other challenges continue to happen, something I keep reminding myself and reminding those that I work with and the students that are here at Gather and at Midweek and all part of Redemption Youth something I keep reminding us of is that these things will pass, right? Eventually, they'll come to an end. A year from now, we won't be thinking about that time when we were on the move and things were weird because we weren't in the big room, right? We won't be thinking about the big room construction. We won't be talking about how we were waiting for a high school director to be hired, right? All of the things that are going on in your own life personally that are challenging for you, a year from now, five years from now, whatever, how long it may be, those things will come to an end. Everything is temporary, right? Like, you you may have heard the phrase before, this too shall pass, right? It's a familiar phrase that you'll hear people say, and it sums up this idea well, right? That everything is temporary. Now, maybe when I say that, everything is temporary, maybe you think to yourself, well, what about my dog who has terminal cancer, right? Or my cousin who has a disability, right? Like, those things aren't temporary, right? Well, actually, yes, they are, right? Like, as Christians, we believe that this life is not the end. We believe that what we're living and what we're experiencing right now is only the beginning of what God has for us. That one day, Jesus will come back to earth, and he will defeat evil, he'll destroy death forever. And that Jesus will judge everyone who has ever lived to either spend eternity with him in paradise or uh, they'll spend eternity in punishment and torment and hell. And for those who have been saved by Jesus, all suffering, 
all pain, all sorrow will be gone forever. Right? Like any of the sickness or diseases that we see in the world around us will be gone. Any disabilities or struggles with mental health, gone. All brokenness will be restored to wholeness. And the world will be unlike we are familiar with it. There will only be peace, not conflict. There will only be love, not hatred. There will only be joy, not frustrations or disappointment. This too shall pass. So whatever you're dealing with, as difficult as it may be for you right now, it will come to an end eventually. Everything is temporary. And the the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible speaks to this exact truth that everything is temporary. It's like smoke that fades, right? It's there one moment and it's gone the next. But the reality is that it's not just our difficulties that will fade. They're not just our difficulties that are temporary. It's everything is temporary. Our friends, our families, our possessions, our achievements, our accomplishments, our popularity, our success, our money, our entertainment, even our own lives are temporary. All of it is temporary. Yet we look for fulfillment in these things. We look to be satisfied in these things. Like, think about this. Imagine that you lost everything, right? Everything that you love is gone. Your, your car, your family, your house, your phone, your friends, your Xbox, your sports teams, whatever it is that you love, fill in the blank. Imagine that all of that is lost. Would Jesus be enough for you? Would nothing plus Jesus be enough for you? Right, like, imagine you lost everything. Would it be enough to have Jesus? Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, I imagine that for most of us in this room, the answer is no. The answer is probably no for most of us. See, we all have these mixed motives as we live our lives and as we follow Jesus. We may follow Jesus, we may love Jesus, But that doesn't mean he has all of us. That doesn't mean that we've devoted and focused our lives on him. But the reality is that everything except God is temporary. Everything. So the question is, what does it look like to get closer to ignoring the temporary and seeking the eternal? In other words, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus and forget the smoke that fades? And as we work through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at the wisdom that the Bible has to offer towards these questions. So let's take a look at the opening few verses of Ecclesiastes. This is what it says. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. 
A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? No, it's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Cheerful verses today, huh? Ecclesiastes is an interesting book that gives us some wisdom and some insight into what life means, right? And typically this book, Ecclesiastes, has been thought to be written by Solomon, the third king of Israel, right? Like if we look at verse one, we see that it says that this is the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, Right, So this makes sense, but we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure if it's Solomon. It doesn't give a name of this author. Instead, it just gives a title, the preacher. Right? Other translations will use the, the, uh, the teacher or the questioner. Right? But Solomon makes sense as the author of this book. Solomon is a man who was considered the wisest king who ever lived. We see this happen in 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, ask what I shall give you. Solomon says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or life of your, or, uh, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. All right, so we see that Solomon is considered the wisest king. God gave him this incredible wisdom, but he's also the wisest man who's ever lived. And so having this book of wisdom written by Solomon when it's accredited to a king of Jerusalem, this makes sense that it's Solomon. Solomon's wisdom is similar to the wisdom that we see in this book, right? Like the author of Ecclesiastes is able to step aside from all of the instant gratifications that we have in this world and be able to ask the question, what actually matters? What is worth devoting my life to? So whenever we're reading the Bible, we have to ask ourselves the question, why does it matter enough to be in here? Right? Like, God wasn't hurting to meet the minimum word count when he was writing the Bible. Like, we, everything in there has a purpose, right? And so we have to ask about what that is. And in the case of Ecclesiastes, it's seeking to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Does it even have meaning, right? Is there meaning to life? Simple enough question, right? But this is a question that humans have been asking for our entire existence. And people have lots of different opinions and thoughts and answers to this question. So the Bible approaches this book answering this complex and controversial question through poetic literature, through poetry, right? It doesn't just hand us the answers. It doesn't just write it out what life means, but it seeks to get the reader engaged in the questioning. 
engaged in what they're thinking about and reading about this and thinking through it, opening their mind to new ideas and answering their questions by using metaphors and proverbs, allegories, and sayings. So here's how Ecclesiastes starts to answer the question of the meaning of life. It starts with everything is temporary. And we we talked about this a little bit already, right? Like time will bring everything that we know to an end, right? Like eventually everything about your life will end. Everything will change. Nothing lasts. Everything is temporary. But it takes it a step further than this. It doesn't just say everything is temporary, but it goes on to say everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Take a look at what it says in verses 2 through 6 again. It says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does it mean, or what does, a, um, does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And the implied answer here is Nothing. Nothing is gained because everything is temporary. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains the same. Nothing has changed. People come, people go, but everything remains the same. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, the wind blows to the north. Nothing changes. It keeps going on to say these ideas that nothing changes. Everything remains in life We will live and die just like everyone else, and we are temporary just like everyone else. And so it's communicating this idea that life is temporary, everything is meaningless, because life is vanity is how it communicates it. Vanity. And we, we use this word sometimes when we talk, but it's interesting to look at what it really means. Like vanity is referring to being futile or ineffectual unsuccessful, useless, empty, valueless, right? So it's saying life is these things. It's vanity. Life is futile. Life is ineffectual. It's unsuccessful, useless, empty, valueless. Really makes you feel great, huh? Not to be a pessimist about this, but the teacher, the preacher in this book is speaking some truths But it's not just to make everyone feel terrible, right? He's speaking truth about the temporary nature of life. The preacher is trying to get you to consider a question here. And the question is this, what in your life actually has lasting significance? What in your life actually has lasting significance, Have you really thought about that, right? Like the friends you have, the grades you get, the clubs that you're in, the stuff that you own, the drama at your school right now. Will any of it actually matter a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now? Let alone thinking about, will any of that matter once you die? Does any of it matter? Right? And the answer that he's giving to us is that no, everything is temporary, so everything is meaningless. So these are some hard, discouraging truths to think about. To think about life and the meaningless nature of it is difficult, but here's some things that I think we can take from this opening chapter here. The first thing is this that time is fleeting. Time is fleeting. Right, like you sitting here right now are a high school student at the beginning of your life, right? 
like, you're not a baby, obviously, but you've got many years ahead of you, right? You're at the beginning of your life, but I promise you that time moves quickly, right? Like, the more time you experience, the faster it feels, right? Like, I can remember being in middle school and feeling like a year was forever, but at the same time, it seems like it hasn't been that long since my daughter Zion was born, but she's almost two and a half now, right? And I know I'm making myself sound super old right now, right? That's okay. But take the truth nugget that, tr- that time moves super fast. It can easily slip past you. So don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. It's easy to make a few choices that feel inconsequential, that lead down a path towards a life that is wasted, right? These choices that we can make that feel insignificant can lead you down a path towards a life that you get to the end of it and you feel like, what have I done? What did I do with my life? Did I use it well? Praise God that he shook me out of complacency with this exact thing when I was in college, right? Like, I was drinking, I was smoking, and I was seeking every pleasure that life could offer me. I hated going to class, so I didn't go, or I would just sleep through it the whole time. I had, was a bad friend, and I would only use people to benefit myself. I ignored my family, and I was a jerk to my roommates. But underneath all of it, my choices were motivated by this desire to find a cure for my unhappiness. I was trying to find something that I didn't have in all of these things that I was doing. I wanted something that would satisfy and fulfill me, but nothing was enough. And eventually it hit me that I hated who I was. I hated how I was living. And it was in that moment that God changed my life. He motivated me to start following him and start taking my decisions seriously and think about how I'm living my life, to stop living only for myself. He helped me to see that my life is not just about me. And I tell you this to point out to you that I never intended to get to that point where I hated myself and I hated how I was living. It wasn't like I decided one day, you know, I want to be a jerk. I want to be living my life for me. I want to be selfish. I want to just do everything that I want, and I don't care who I hurt in the process. That's not the decision that I made. I didn't think about that. It just happened, right? I just got there. There was no point where I decided to be like that. It was a series of decisions that felt insignificant, a series of decisions that felt inconsequential, that led me to pursuing vanity and not recognizing that time is fleeting. And it didn't hit me until I was already in a place where I felt like my life was pointless. So my encouragement to you is to learn from my mistakes. Don't waste your life, but instead spend your life following God. Spend your life following God. Now, this is a spoiler alert. This Actually, this conclusion doesn't come until the very end of Ecclesiastes. But it just didn't feel right leaving you with this pessimistic view of your life that everything is meaningless without helping you to see how to live a meaningful life. And living a meaningful life is by following God. See, the only thing that we can do in this life that actually lasts the test of time is following God. Because God is eternal. Because God is outside time, and one day he will return to bring in an era of peace and goodness that will never end. See, your faith in God today matters in light of eternity. It's significant. It's meaningful. 
where everything else that we've talked about is insignificant in light of eternity. Following God, your faith today matters. So devote yourself to the one thing that actually matters past time. Following God. Work to know him. Work to draw closer to him. Take your faith seriously. Live your life in a way that seeks to honor God. And this doesn't mean that the only things you get to do are read your Bible and pray and sing worship songs, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. You can still enjoy life and care for your family and hang out with your friends and experience everything that life has to offer. These things can be honoring to God. But don't waste your life making those things the focus of how you live. Instead, pursue God and what it looks like to follow him. That is a life that has meaning. That's a life that has significance. That's a life that is worthy. So I want to give you guys some time to process this, to think about this, to figure out what it looks like to live a life that has meaning. And so we're going to talk about this at your tables here, but let me pray for you guys first. Father, man, it's, it's hard to think about life in such depressing and pessimistic thoughts. To think about that everything is temporary, that everything is meaningless, is just challenging. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll use that challenge for good, that you'll work in our hearts not to, to think about our lives as non-important, but instead to be thinking about how we can be using our lives for something that's important, to be able to utilize our lives to follow you, to be able to live for you, to be able to help others to know you, to be able to seek a life that honors you. But we need your help to do this, Lord. It's so easy to slip into these patterns of making decisions that feel like they don't matter, feel like decisions that are inconsequential, that won't make a difference in the course of our lives or anyone else. But then ultimately, they lead us into this place where our life has led to meaningless. And so, Lord, I pray for the students that feel like that's where they're at, Lord, that you would shake them out of that now. Help them to see the lasting significance, the lasting contentment and joy that comes from following you and knowing you. But, Lord, help all of us to be able to figure out what that looks like together. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.